Praise the Lord. Welcome in to another Soar of Seeds podcast. I'm your host, Ted Johnson. And as always, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Continue to remember all the sick. Uh, there's there's a lot of people that are sick, and either the coronavirus or uh, d- different things that's going on right now. So let's let's remember all of them. Our kind and gracious, loving Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this day, and I thank you for all your wonderful blessings and your gifts that you have given us, dear God. And I thank you for life. I thank you for health, dear God. I thank you for my home, dear God, and and food on the table and clothes on my back, dear God. And I just praise you for each and every wonderful gift and blessing that you have given us. Thank you for just being there, Lord, and just watching out for us and keeping us safe. And God, I ask, Lord, now that you just touch my mind and touch my lips, dear God, that I may speak the words that you would have me to speak, dear God, so that someone may be lifted up. And God, just be with each and every one of those that are sick. God, there's many of them, Lord, that are sick. has got different different things. But God, there, there's nothing impossible with you. Lord, it doesn't matter what they have, whether it's cancer or COVID or a cold or sinuses, God, you can touch them all and, and completely heal them, dear God, if we just, all of us just have faith and trust in you. Lord, just have your way and be with us. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to be uh, basically talking about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a, a short book. And... Uh, this is a book where that uh, Solomon wrote and King Solomon, and it was just after that he had uh, found out or had God had been blessed him, had been blessing him and everything, and moving in a great and mighty way in his life, and he messed up and he went off after other gods, and uh, he had come back and and was on his way back, and when. When he got to thinking about all the different things of the world, and all the uh, the the uh, the wealth and the uh, the wisdom and all the things like that, and he he come to the conclusion that it it was just all vanity, uh, you know, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit, and the the bottom line is is when it was all over with, he said the the main thing is. The one thing that we want to to remember and to never forget is love the Lord your God. So, but we've uh, we've all heard stories of different stars, uh, rock stars, and movie stars, and even people uh, uh, that uh, uh, athletes. I'll think of the words here in a few minutes. All the athletes and people like that, where they have rose to stardom and and basketball players football players and all those where they have rose to stardom and then they they get there and they get to the top and when they can't go no farther and they they sort of get burnt out and they don't know what to do from there but they they've gained all that life had to offer the fame the money the admiration the power but they somehow still they they feel empty. They feel alone. They feel like that uh, their life has no meaning, uh, and they're trying to figure out exactly you know what their their 
life really means, what had a bit, what has it amounted to? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes, they speak directly to these type of people. These are uh, the people that have had it all, but yet they, they had nothing. And they, they can't figure out why. And they've had it all. They've become disillusioned and eventually realized the surprising simple things that are ultimately most important in life, the little things in life, the simple things in life. In this uh, book of Ecclesiastes, we're in a genre called uh, literature, wisdom literature, along with uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon. But who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Uh, the book seems to have been written by Solomon. Uh, verse 1, uh, preference this book by saying in Ecclesiastes 1, 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He pleased God at, at the beginning of his reign, and, and because of this, uh, the Lord appeared unto, unto him and asked him and in a dream and asked him, Whatever you, what do you want me to give you? What would you like to have from me more than anything else? I, it's like the Lord is asking him, I'm going, to, I'm going to grant you one wish. What is the one thing that you wish for in your life? Now, we've got to remember that Solomon at this time was a young boy. He wasn't very old. And he, uh, he has having, when, he, when the Lord asked him this, and he was, he was struggling with some things. And in 1 Kings 3, 7 through 9, it says, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? He could have had anything he wanted. He could have had wealth. He could have had uh, fame. He could have had uh, anything that he wanted, long life, anything he wanted. But the one thing that he wanted more than anything was wisdom and understanding uh, so that he could judge the people and judge them righteously. So God, re God rewarded Solomon for his uh, selfishness, his selfish reply. He gave him incredible wisdom, but he also blessed him with wealth and with honor. And these things that the Lord gave him ended up being a mixed blessing. It was a, it was not only a blessing, but it also became a curse. And and that's the reason why that I say to a lot of people, be careful what you ask the Lord for, because 
you may get them. And then after you get them, you uh, figure out that uh, you really shouldn't ask for that. You should ask for something else. But while while Solomon was able to build a, a beautiful temple for the Lord, uh, and you find that in First Kings chapter six, and do other good things, he he also was led into idolatry by his pursuit of the good life and at cost, all cost. He, he went after the things of the world instead of the things of God. He got sidetracked. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're a king, you're the president of the United States, you're, you're, uh, one of the, you're a, a, band, or a preacher of the, or a uh, pastor of one of the greatest churches that there is in the world, it doesn't matter who you are. If you aren't very careful, you can be led astray and you you can get off the beaten path and end up with, uh, without the blessings of the Lord. But 1 Kings 11, 1 through 7, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Zodianites, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father for Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Zodians and after Milcom the abomination of the Amorites and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as as did David, his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chesmus, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. So his wives got him turned around and, and he got to worshiping other gods and he got to building um, places where they could go and sacrifice to these gods and uh, shrines and different places. And he got to where that he was following these and not following the Lord anymore. And he was about to get in trouble. But eventually it seemed that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes as a chastened man who learned the hard way what really matters. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes we have to learn some hard lessons. I know I have had to learn some hard lessons myself, lessons that I would rather not have, uh, uh, that I would rather not have taught to, been, had them taught to me, but I needed them but to get me back to where that I need to be. And, you know, and... <laughs> The thing about it is, is once that 
you are chastised by the Lord, and once that you are you turn around and you get back on the right path, and you get to going for the Lord, and the Lord starts blessing you again, and you get back over into that promised land, that that place where God can really bless you and use you. Your first question to yourself is why, why did I ever do that in the first place? Why did I go off after that? that thing and, and completely leave the Lord. Why did I do that? That that was the dumbest thing that I ever done in my life. But you know what they say. Hind, hindsight is twenty twenty. How should we as Christians read the book of Ecclesiastes? The book provides relevant wisdom for Christians. Who today who are struggling uh, with the seeming meaningless uh, of life? Uh, why are we here? What is it all for? Does what we do even matter? What is truly important in life? All these answers and and a whole lot more of them can be found in the book of Ecclesiastes. But I want to tell you something right now. I've asked myself some of these questions recently because you know as we go on and we do the will of the lord satan is going to come against us and he is going to put thoughts in our head and we are going to if we dwell on them very long we will we will start thinking that uh you know that whatever we do is useless you know we there's no sense in us going on but the thing about it is 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 my thought is, and when this comes to me is, this is a job that the Lord has got set before me. I don't expect to ever be praised or glorified. I don't want to be. All I want to do is do what God has set before me. Now then, it's up to everybody else what happens thereafter. I have done my job. I have done what the Lord wants me to do. The question is, are you doing what the Lord wants you to do? And, you know, that's the one question that we need to be asking ourselves is not what I'm doing. Does it even matter? Is anybody even listening or anything like it's? But what does God want me to do? And how do I go about doing whatever it is that he wants me to do? What do, does what we do even matter? That's the one question that comes to my mind a lot. Is what I'm doing? Is anybody getting anything out of what I say? And another question that comes to my mind is, why in the world would somebody want to turn on a, a, their phone or their laptop or, or whatever and listen to me for 45 minutes and then the lord takes me back and i go back and i look at some of the statistics of my podcast and how far i'm reaching and everything <laughs> then i have to ask god to forgive me for my thoughts and then i have to i start asking god to bless the people and to plant a seed in their life and let that seed grow will i ever see the the uh, harvest of that seed, not in this life. I probably will not. 
I might see it on the other side. But see, the one thing that the Lord has taught me is I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for the Lord. So whatever happens after I do my part is that's the Lord from there on. Because all I can do is tell you I can't save your soul. I can't lead you on a path of righteousness. I can't tell you what job that you need to do for the Lord. I can't do all those things. All I can do is plant a seed to where the, it gets down in your soul and down in your heart, and you start trying to figure out just exactly where that you stand with the Lord and what the, it is that the Lord wants you to do. But there's 12 chapters in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, and I, I have read all of them, and it, it, gets, it gets really deep uh, about him thinking about all the things that have happened. But, and there's some of the things that, uh, that he says in there that, that uh, they make a lot of sense. And if you really sit and think about them. But at the end of the 12th chapter, Solomon sums up the, the, with the wisest statement that he could possibly muster. Muster. And we feel ourselves leaning, you know, when you're reading the th reading Ecclesiastes, it's, it's like one of those mysteries, and you're you're really getting into it. And by the time you get to chapter 12, you're on the edge of your seat. But this is what he says in, in chapter 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 10 through 14. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of the assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He said, of all the things, he said, you know, words of truth, uh, the words of the wise are as goads. And if y'all don't know what a goad is, it, it, it was a uh, long pole, somewhere between eight and ten uh, foot long. Um, some of them had, it's like a shepherd's hook. It had the hook in the end of it, but it had metal on the end of it, and that metal was had a point on it. And they would, they would, take this and they would steer their oxen and their cows with this because they, they'd punch them with that metal in and, and it hurt a little bit and so they'd want to turn to get away from it. And it says the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. They're, they're all sharp and if you ever get an nail in your hand, you know it hurts, which are given from, from one shepherd. Yeah. The words of the wise, the wise shepherd, when he gives you the words uh, that sometimes they hurt, when he gives you the, 
the and tells you the things that that you need to know and you need to be doing sometimes they hurt but it's all worth it in the end and this overreaching theme of ecclesiastes this is the overreaching and should be the overreaching focus on the christian life or over Arching, I'm sorry, that's overarching theme. Overarching means uh, including or influencing every part of something. The Lord should be overarching our lives or uh, including our lives in his work and influencing our lives in every way possible. We should be doing the same thing to others we should be influencing others and including others in our life and showing them the way that, that to calvary showing them a way to peace and happiness and joy this is our this is our job this is the duty of man fear god keep his commandments and pass everything on. Don't keep everything. Don't keep the commandments. Don't keep the judgments. Don't keep all those things that the Lord tells you. Don't keep them to yourself. Pass them on. Because somebody else is either in the same place that you have been or is getting ready to go through the same thing that you have been going through. So let people know. Be a testimony for the Lord. Be a testimony to help someone else. Don't keep it in. Pass it on. There's three lessons from Ecclesiastes. Number one, right now we live in a time, but we are made for more. We live in time, but we are made for more. Though we live our lives uh, on a timeline now, you, you, you are born uh, you live, you die, and you got to go here, you got to go there, you got to be at this place a certain time, that place a certain time. But Ecclesiastes says that he has put eternity into man's heart, but in such a way that we can't fully understand it yet. We know that there is an eternity that we are, as Christians, we are working toward that place that we are going to go one of these days when when our life here on this earth is up a place that we're going to go to one of these days to live with our heavenly father and with jesus his son forever in ecclesiastes three eleven, he hath made everything beautiful in his time also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He has set everything. He has made everything beautiful. And you know, once that you really give your heart and life to God and, and you look around at the world, I'm not talking about the people in the world, but I'm talking about the world itself. It's, it's a very beautiful complex thing god spoke into existence he spoke it into existence he took something 
He took nothing and made something and hung it on nothing. So uh, what is it in your life that you think that God cannot do? There's nothing impossible with him. Uh, number, yeah, let me find out where I'm at now. I've done lost my place. That's all right. I'm going to get my papers apart. The, the New Testament echoes this, this encouraging, uh, encouraging believers that they have eternity to fully grasp God's glorious works in the world. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but when, then shall I know even as I am known. It says, for we look through a glass darkly. It, our, what we can think and what we can, and can get in our little feeble minds at this point in time about what heaven is going to be like, it's, it's like taking a... Uh, a dropper and putting a drop of water into the ocean compared to what it's really going to be like. We have, we really have no idea what it's going to be like when we get there. We know it's going to be beautiful. We know that it's going to be perfect. We know that we're going to live forever. We're never going to have to sleep. There's never going to be no night there. We know these things, but do we really, really understand exactly how grand and how wonderful it's going to be when we get there. The Bible says right here that we ain't got a clue. It says, for, we, for now we see through a glass darkly. I don't know if any of you have been to an old building that's been sitting out, uh, especially out in the woods, and it has windows in it, how that they'll, they will get... Uh, real dirty and get crud on the outside side of them and you look through and 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 you can tell that there's something in there and you can make out uh, uh, forms of things but you really you really can't tell what it is that's the way we as children of God right now that's the way that we we see heaven but then but then when we get to heaven and we're look, we're face to face with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We we will know as we are known. In other words, we will know. We will have all wisdom. We will have all knowledge. We will have all understanding. We we will we will know just what it, we will know everything that that the Lord knows. We will know even also as also I am known. This longing that we have for, for something better, uh, something beyond this earthly life, it's, it's a divine gift meant to help us to fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is seen, the things in this world, Everything we see in this world is temporary. Uh, everything in this world that you see is going to pass away one of these days. Big fine homes, big buildings, the car, 
uh, the cars, the trucks, the motorcycles, air, boats, everything in this world is going to pass away one of these days. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what we need to be looking for. That's what we need to set our sights on. Not the things in this world that we can see, but the things of heaven that we can't see. You know, I, 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 I've mentioned this before, but I have... I. I asked the Lord several times if he would let me see all the things that Satan has set before me in a day's time that he and his angels actually take the time to steer me around it or move out of my way before I get to it. And then I got to thinking one day, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I really don't think I want to see that. Because when I got to thinking about it, it's untelling what Satan has got out, set out there for us. Each and every one of us as children of God, all the traps and the stumbling blocks and, and the pitfalls and the snares and, and uh, temptations and everything that he has got set for us, is, it, it, they're probably massive. But Jesus and his angels are going before us. And they are moving all this stuff out of our way. But we need to set our sights on the heavenly things, not on things of this world. Set our sights on Jesus and follow him and not worry about everything else. As C.W. Lewis was famously put it, has famously put it, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We, you know, I have heard so many people that have given their heart and life to the Lord talk about how that they uh, were out in sin and they were looking for something. They was looking for joy. They was looking for peace. They was looking for comfort and happiness and, and all these different things, and they couldn't find it. They looked, in, they looked for it in sex. They looked for it in alcohol. They looked for it in drugs. They looked for it in everything to be thought of in this world, and they couldn't find it. But they said just as soon as they give their heart and life to God and they stood up, they everyone found just exactly what they was hunting for. But they were searching in all the wrong places. And I've been there. I've done that. I know exactly what it's like. Number two, life only has meaning when lived in relationship with God. And that is one of the most, there is no more truer statement in this world than that one right there. I mean, Solomon wants his readers to know that he's tried everything in a, in a relentless pursuit to find the meaning of life. He tried everything tried women he tried wisdom he tried knowledge he tried uh fine uh, fine houses uh uh vineyard i mean just just go through and read ecclesiastes and and 
just let him tell you of all the different things that he done trying to find happiness and trying to find peace and, and trying to find something, but he, he really couldn't put his finger on it. He's tried gaining knowledge and wisdom and being righteous. He's, uh, he's tried indulging himself with everything that money could buy. He tried working hard and playing hard. He tried pursuing fame and greatness and passion and in the end found all of it empty. Or to put it in his own words, it's vanity and vexation of spirit. In other words, it just it didn't do him a bit of good. It didn't it wasted his time. Depending on what translation you're reading, the resounding refrain of the book of Ecclesiastes is some variation on these words. Meaningless, pointless, vanity, futility, useless. Have you, have you ever felt like some of those words? Have you ever felt like that you're you're useless? That that uh, you know it's just it's just a waste of time for you to do anything. Have you ever been there? When any of these things mentioned above that I just mentioned are pursued wholeheartedly, they become a chasing after the wind. <laughs> you know, you and I and everybody else knows you cannot catch the wind. In Ecclesiastes 1.14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Of everything that he's done, everything that he's seen, everything that he's witnessed, it's all vanity and vexation of spirit, meaningless, useless, worthless. All those words that I just read to you, that's, that's what they are. And that's what he found out. We all want to be happy and pursue it in various ways as Solomon did. But only one, one way will truly provide happiness. Pursuing God himself. It's the only way. Lewis again says, It is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. In other words, he's saying it, it's no good for you to ask God to give you peace and something when you don't want to dwell in him because in him, in Christ, is where our peace, our joy, and our happiness, that's where it abides. So if we want it, we're going to have to abide in Jesus. We're going to have to live in him if we want it and you ain't going to find it nowhere else. Yeah. Satan has a, a facsimile of it, a faux happiness, a faux, uh, joy. Uh, it feels good for a while, but then when everything's all said and done, uh, you're, you're in worse shape than what you were to begin with. And you still don't have any joy. You still don't have any happiness.
you're still chasing after something that you can't find. Joy can be found in life through gratitude for God's gifts. Number three, life is a gift. Every breath that you take is a gift. Every time your heart beats, it's a gift. Life is a gift. Though it sounds like a cliché, Deep down, each and every one of us knows this is true. We did not create ourselves, and after all, what do we have that we did not receive? We did not. Uh, we did not make ourselves grow. We did not uh, make ourselves get older we we can't make ourselves get younger we can't make ourselves get uh, all these different things we did not create ourselves we did not have anything that we have because we received it because we did not receive it in other words all these things that that we want we have um, uh, Solomon figured out you can't make them happen. You in yourself cannot make these things happen. Yes, you can. You can have a a faux happiness and a faux joy, and like I said, it's only good for a while, and then you figure out that that was a waste of time too. First Corinthians four seven. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Why do you glory as though you, you didn't receive it, as, as though that you did something on your own? You cannot do nothing on your own. I mean... This is the one thing that I guess that I have figured out. I can't do nothing on my own. I've got to have the Lord's help with everything that I do. I can't sit here and talk to you uh, and teach and give you the words that the Lord tells me to give you without his help. You know, and I don't want to because I'm, I don't have enough education to understand God's word and I don't have enough education to sit here and speak to you the way that I did without the Lord speaking through me. So we, you know, we have done nothing in ourselves. Like I said before, you do whatever that, for whatever you do, you do it because of who is in control of your life. There is, we're just, we're basically just puppets on strings and somebody is making us move, and somebody is making us do things what we do. And that's the one that's in control of your life. Though life is full of hardships, it's, it's also full of beauty if we have eyes to see. You know, a lot. Of, the Bible speaks a lot about having eyes and not being able to see and ears and not being able to hear. 
but after experiencing all the world, had to, excuse me, had to offer luxuries, worldly pleasures. Solomon emphasizes emphasizes simple things as the ones that could bring real joy under under the sun. I mean, in this life. He mentions family, life, family life, food, drink, and honest work as aspects of life that can give satisfaction in a temporal sense as we live out our lives on earth. We don't put our hope in them or expect them to give us lasting fulfillment, but we can thank God for them and enjoy them as good gifts, knowing that in James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of of turning. In other words, he's he's never going to change. He's going to be the same tomorrow as he was when... He walked upon this earth. He's going to be the same as when um, Adam and Eve were in the garden. He's going to be the same when Joseph went down to Egypt. He's the same God then as he is right now, and he's the same God right now as he was back then. He's still not a respecter of persons, and if you're going to make it to heaven, you've still got to make it to heaven the same way that they do. You can't you can't bluff your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. But Solomon had it all. But Solomon had it all. But found in the end that only one thing was important. The only thing important in life is a relationship with God, characterized by awe and obedience. Know who God is. Fear God, the fear of God is reverence, knowing who he is, knowing what he can do, and have a relationship, an ongoing relationship, not a off-and-on relationship. Have an ongoing relationship every day with God. Pursued as a means of ultimate happiness, everything else in the world ends in futility. But when God is central in life, all of his gifts come into proper perspective and are able to be enjoyed. When we get centered in his, in his life, get our life centered in his, get our life the way that he wants it to be in him, everything anything we are unable to enjoy it while we may not fully understand the meaning of all of life while we're here on earth we can trust that god has full wisdom even when our wisdom fails short ecclesiastes 5 2 be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before god for god is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Be not, do not be quick with your mouth. 
Think about what you say before you say it. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. There again, especially right, well, uh, right here being the first, uh, uh, first of a new year, we need to think long and hard about uh, New Year's Eve resolutions and vows that we're going to make to God. We need to think long and hard because he will hold you accountable for them. And I, I don't, I didn't make any this year except my usual one. And I want to get closer to God. I want to know more about the, about the Lord. I want to know about more about God's word. So that's going to take some work on my part. God's in heaven. He's up there looking down, trying to get us to understand where we need to be and what we need to be doing because we are down here on earth. So let your words be few. An article on Ecclesiastes could go on and on and on, sharing many valuable lessons from the book. But it may be wiser to heed the advice of Solomon and cut to the chase. In Ecclesiastes 5.7 For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities. But fear thou God. In other words, when it's all over with, fear God, put your trust in Him, and don't worry about everything else. As I've said many a times, don't sweat the small stuff. Because, uh, you know, it, it's the little foxes. That's, they're the ones that, that spoil the grapes. They're the ones that spoils the vines. It's the little foxes. Uh, the bigger foxes, they come up and they, they get the, the good fruit uh, the clusters of grapes off, but it's the little ones that can't get up there that gnaw on the, the bottom of the vines and, and they, they end up killing the vines. So it's the little things in life that do the most harm and also uh, are the, the greatest things that ever was, are the, the spice of life. So, you know, don't don't set your your heart and your minds and everything on things of this world. Like I said, they're all going to pass away one day. It's all going to be gone, and we're going to be left with nothing except our soul. And now then, we before we ever get to that point, we have got to uh, say exactly where our soul is going to. Uh, is it going to go to heaven to live with the Lord for eternity? Or is it going to go to hell to burn in a lake of fire for eternity? So, you know, that that's the real question. But if you give your heart and life to God, follow him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Follow him. Do his will, and everything will be fine. I thank you all for listening. I hope you got something out of this. And until the next time, may God bless you in a great and a mighty way.